Good morning. So yes, my, uh, my name is Dan. Uh, thank you for that introduction. I am uh, married to the beautiful Renee, and I have two boys, James and Michael. And uh, as you can tell from my accent, I am indeed British. Now, um, I've been here for 11 years. And so before I moved here, when I was living in the UK, there was a somewhat controversial nutritionist called Gillian McKeith. Has anyone heard of Gillian McKeith? A couple of you. Okay. So Gillian McKeith, um, she was controversial because she said that you could tell someone's health by seeing what they... Um, passed through. Yes. Um, her philosophy was that everything you take in directly affects your health. So, therefore, your poop would be a direct reflection of your health. You with me? So, that's why I've brought this with me. Um... So I've brought this tub of chocolate icing with me because that's an example of something that I like to take in but actually isn't very good for me. Now, I'm not here this morning to talk about our food um, or our health in particular, not as Gillian McKeith understood it. Anyway, you'll be thankful to know. Um, but what I am going to talk about is our spiritual diet. Uh, Matthew 4.4, 4, um, Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy, says this. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus was saying, he's saying, look, I, I provide the food you eat. In fact, that's a reference back to the manna in the desert that fed the Israelites. So he's saying, I give you food to sustain your physical bodies but I also give you spiritual food to sustain your souls. There he's calling us to intimacy with him. He's saying that by understanding our spiritual diet, we can actually feed on that and nourish our souls as well. I think today's a good time to talk about this, the title of my preached this morning, for those of you that like taking notes, is a call to holiness. And I think it's nice to do it right at the start of the year, because I don't know about you, I, I don't do New Year's resolutions. In fact, I do. I make the same one every year, not to have one, and I always keep it. And you might have New Year's resolutions, you might not, but I do think that at the start of the year, it's a good idea to set your mind on the things you're going to carry through the year. You agree? It's good. It's a fresh start. It's a time to set our mind on things. So I'm going to look at this topic of a call to holiness in four parts. And be four things. Firstly, the challenge. Secondly, the choice. Thirdly, the chommies. And lastly, the change. So like any proper meal, uh, this one is going to start a little heavy. Uh, but then it's going to finish kind of sweet, I hope. Okay. So, you all with me? You all right with this? You're looking terrified. That's good. 
Um, I'm also going to use quite a bit of scripture because I want you to know that the things I'm sharing with you, they're not, you know, things that I've made up. They're biblical. And the Bible tells us how to respond to this call to holiness. So first of all, let's start with the challenge. Now, um, even though I did use a bit of a crude illustration when I spoke about Gillian McKeith, sorry about that, she was making a valid point, And that is that everything you take in affects you in some way. It does. Everything you take in. And it does in a spiritual sense as well. Now, I must admit, I kind of know this, but I don't always want to believe it. I don't want to think about it. I'm one of these people where if, if I'm eating something, like I've got a real thing for Christmas cake, like fruit cake, okay? I know that's probably not very good for me, but I just go, ah, yeah, it's fine, it's Christmas. I just eat it. Ostrich, sand, boom. You know, I'd rather just not think about it. But I know that it's probably not actually that good for me, certainly not in the quantities I eat it. And it sometimes seems nice to turn a blind eye. But we do have to think about these things. We have to think about our spiritual diet. What is the stuff that we're taking in? How can we see the stuff? How do we know the stuff that we're taking in? Well, you can see the stuff that we take in by the stuff that comes out of us. You can see it by the things we talk about. You can see it by the things we watch, the things we spend our time doing, the things we post on Facebook. In that way, you can see, you know, what is it you enjoy? What is it that your friends really enjoy? And at the same time as we're thinking about, you know, these things that we consume our lives with, a lot of us are saying that we're struggling to find intimacy with Jesus. I admit I do. I love the Word of God, but I sometimes struggle to find intimacy with Jesus. I thought the worship was so beautiful this morning. I could have just carried on in that place. I know you guys could as well. And it's because we got a touch of what it means to have intimacy with Jesus. That's what we all want, right? But do we think the problem in finding intimacy with Jesus is Jesus? Or do we think the problem with finding intimacy with Jesus is actually us. It's us. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the problem with finding intimacy with Jesus is actually what we're taking in. It's the things we're consuming. So, for example, um, think about 2019, the year just gone. Think about, just as an example, what you watched on TV. What series did you really get stuck into? Things like, you know, Stranger Things, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. Now, at this point, um, some of the, those of you who uh, enjoy these things might be kind of going to hackles up a little bit. Uh, just to put this in perspective, the secular press, these aren't Christians, this is the secular press, called these things racy demonic horror and medieval soft porn. Now, you might say, ugh, it's not actually that bad. You know, they just, I filter out the bad bits. Or, um, you know, you sound like you're being a bit legalistic there, Dan. You know, and these are all the defenses that we, we've, we've built up. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter, actually, what people around you think. What matters is what God thinks. So, Psalm 101, verse 3 says this. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. 
they will not cling to me. I wonder, I mean, do we really hate stuff that's vile? Do we really kind of not look with approval on these things? Or do we package all the violence, the swearing, the sex, the occult, and just pipe it to ourselves through the TV? Is that our diet? Is that what we're feeding ourselves on? And you might say, well, you know what? I watched all of Game of Thrones. It didn't affect me. It did. Maybe not overnight. Maybe not, no. Suddenly you were lost. But I tell you, it affected you. Because every single thing you take in affects you. And it affects your intimacy with Jesus. It's no wonder that we're living in a crisis where... None of us can see Jesus' face. What is this other stuff we're taking in? And I'm not picking on TV in particular. So those of you who are watching TV, you know, you're off the hook for a moment. Um, There are other things that we feed ourselves with in our diet that are unhealthy. And some things in themselves, it's not that something is necessarily unhealthy in itself, but the way that we treat it can become unhealthy. So for me, for example, my unhealthy thing is work. Now, um, I work in IT consulting, and I'll be honest with you, I am very good at what I do. I'm in demand all around the world. I fly all around the world um, helping people with their IT issues, um, and that's a problem. Because if I let that thing feed me, if I start to look at work, what happens? I start to culture feelings of pride. I start to culture... Um, feelings of um, entitlement and getting involved with something. It gets in the way of coming to church when I work through weekends. It gets in the way of the time that I spend with my family that God's called me to. It gets in the way of my times of intimacy with Jesus. So is work bad? No. Can the way that I treat work be bad? Absolutely. And then you see it in the things I post about Facebook. I'm all around the world. I'm doing these wonderful things. That could be a problem. It could be a problem. For other people, it's things like sport or gym. Again, they're not bad, but when gym becomes all about your self-image, it's a problem. When you care more about whether Man United wins or loses, or Everton loses, um, <laughs> than, you do about, um, than you do about spending your time with God, maybe there's a problem. What is it that you're consuming? And these things, if we go down these roads, they don't end well. What about politics? I've seen a lot of posts lately on Facebook with a lot of people getting polarized. They're all talking politics. They're all arguing. They end up argumentative. I do sometimes. Is that getting in the the way of having intimacy with Jesus? Is that what we're feeding ourselves with? And here's a scary one. Is it your kids? Are your kids the thing that get you up in the morning, that you think about through the day? When you talk to people, do you just talk about your kids? Do you find your validation in your kids? Kids are a blessing from God. I love my two boys so, 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 so dearly. But if I start loving them more than I love my times with Jesus, I've got a problem. I can't expect to find intimacy with Jesus if I'm putting my kids first and foremost in my life. So whether it's Sport, gym, 
work, TV, whatever it is, we shouldn't be trying to see how far can we go down this road? How far can we push that boundary? What will God let us do? If we think, and I've heard this a lot, people say, what are we allowed to do? How far can we go with this thing? Is that really what it's about? If we think that our heavenly Father, who loves us, who knows what's best for us, is really interested in how far we can push a boundary, I wonder whether we really know, really know who, what a loving Father is at all. He wants the best for us. He wants freedom for us. I also don't think it's purely about how much time we put into these things. Um, I, it does matter, obviously, how much time we, we, we spend on other things. That has a sign of... Um, how important something is to us. But sometimes I've heard people say things like, you know what, if you find yourself watching two hours of TV a day then and only spending five, mi- five minutes in a quiet time, you should take some of that time from the TV and give it to your quiet time. And they think it's like a ratio. Well, I don't buy that. Yes, you should think about how much time you're spending doing things. But do we really think that if we watch just a few minutes of porn or spend a few minutes gossiping with someone, that that isn't going to hinder our intimacy with Jesus? Really? Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what God's called us to have in our diet every day. And we have a choice. There is a choice. I actually think that God gives us a surprising amount of freedom, Um, but he requires freedom to be used wisely. Um, To quote an eminent philosopher, with great power comes great responsibility. And so there's a good illustration of this in Corinthians. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians about meat that was dedicated to idols. So just a bit of background there. What would happen is that when the Corinthians um, slaughtered meat, they would then dedicate that to one of the pagan gods. So they would, you know, bless it and pray over it to a pagan god. Some Christians had a problem with this because they said, we can't eat something sacrificed to a pagan god, and some didn't. So they were asking Paul, what should we do here? And Paul answers them in 1 Corinthians 10.23. He says, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Note there that Paul puts the, I have the right to do anything in in quotes, okay? He's not therefore saying, you actually can do anything you like, (laughs) because obviously some things are sin, okay? He's quoting them and using their words back to them. The point he's making is this. We have freedom to do some things, there are some things that are actually sinful. We can't do those. Okay? We, we don't have the right to, to, to watch pornography, to lie, to gossip, to steal, to cheat each other. You know, they're just off-boundary. Surprise. Um, but what we can do is we can do things that aren't sinful within 
our conscience. We just need to be careful that these things sometimes don't build us up. It's an empty diet. Paul goes on in verse 31. He says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So I'm going to bring this through into the 21st century. So this is Paul's principle to the Corinthians. We're now going to wind it forward to now. Now, I know we generally don't really have a problem with food sacrificed to idols today. There is a bit of a debate about halal food, but I'm not going there this morning. That's a debate for another day. Um, But we do live in a culture where we consume things that are not sacred. In other words, we consume things made by the world for the world. You agree? Yeah? So, for example, movies and sport. They're created by the world for the world. Now, is sport inherently sinful? No, it's not. Can our consumption of these things be glorifying to God? So, can we go and watch a rugby match in a way that honors God? God, I'd rather hope so. Can we go to a rugby match and watch it in a way that dishonors God? Yeah. Can we watch the Avengers in a way that honors God? Probably. Can we watch it in a way that dishonors God? Yeah. So these things aren't sacred. They're made for the world by the world. And in fact, whether or not you do these things is actually down to your conscience. There's sometimes not necessarily a right or a wrong. So, for example, to use a real thing that affects, um, affects people, something like drinking alcohol. Some people feel they can't. It's not right for them to. Some people feel they can Romans 14, um, 2 to 4, says this. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. So there's a bit of a warning here. What this is saying is God has given each of us a conscience, and we should make sure that we both listen to our conscience, and we don't convict other people in our conscience. Does that make sense? So, for example, I may be of persuasion that I cannot drink alcohol. Maybe I feel that's what God's called me to. But if you feel it is okay to do so, it's not for me to stand in judgment on you. Because you need to find that place in God for yourself. But here's the thing. If you also feel that, that same conviction, you have to obey what God has called you to. If in doubt, don't. It's as simple as that. There's nothing scarier for me than a, um, a seared conscience. You know the word seared conscience, what this means? It means that there was a time when you knew what was right and wrong. But you've done the wrong thing so often, and you've ignored your conscience so much, it's like it's been burnt and neutralized. And now, you don't know what's right or wrong anymore. And that's kind of what we see in the world. (laughs) They don't know what's right or wrong. Even more than that, things that are right, they're calling wrong, and things that are wrong, they're calling right. We're not called to be like the world. God's given us a conscience. We need to use it. 
So everything we do should be done for God's glory. I mean, this is obvious. We're created for God's glory. We're supposed to give glory to God. And everything we do, whether we're watching rugby or having a braai or watching Avengers or whatever it is, we should be trying to do it for God's glory. And that should be reward enough. Yes, God's glory. And it is. But like all great choices, the right choice here has a fabulous reward. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you just leave that up for a moment, do you see the reward there? It's a great one. To be able to test and approve the will of God. Some translations use the word discern, to discern the will of God. And at the start of a year... (laughs) Isn't that what every single one of us is longing to hear? Don't we want to hear the will of God for our lives? Don't we want to know what he wants to say to us? What he wants to say to us as a church? It's an incredible reward for leading leading a life that is holy and pleasing. How do we do that? Well, he's given us a whole library of books to tell us how to do that. Because the Bible is a library, not a book. You know that, right? It's a library of books. It's a whole library of books that tell us how to live a holy and pleasing life so that we can have this great reward. And just for good measure, he says, okay, I've given you these books, but because you're probably not strong enough to do that yourself, I'm actually going to give you my own Holy Spirit to enable you and empower you to do the things that you find in those books. God's gifts are the gifts that just keep on giving. Psalm 143 verse 10 captures this beautifully. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. We can choose to listen to the spirit. And if that wasn't enough, he gave us something else too. He gave us the word. He gave us his spirit to empower us to do that. And he gave us something else as well. What did he give us? Anyone? Each other. He gave us each other to walk on this journey. He gave us our jommies. 1 Peter 2 Verses 9 to 12 says this. But you, you, us, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which is what we've been talking about, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We're a people. You and I are people. We're chommies. We're there for each other. You see, holiness is not something that we've been called to just individually. Holiness is something that we've been called to as a people. Because when we as a people are holy, we reflect Christ to the world. And they see what it is that makes us different. So this means that we look out for each other. We check each other. We help each other. This is one of the foundational principles of Josh Jen, as you all know, is that magic word, accountability. Yeah, that's what this means. So we can be holy together, so we look out for each other. Accountability means two things. I mean, there's lots of things we could talk about accountability. It could be a whole series of preaching, but I just want to talk about two things very quickly. Firstly, we need to be accountable in a general sense. That means that Everyone here, if you love God and you love your brothers and sisters, if you see something in somebody that is not reflecting God well, if you see they've said something, they've watched something, they've posted something on Facebook that is dishonoring to God, you need to, in a biblical way and with love and grace, you need to go up to them, you need to speak with them. You need to hold each other accountable in a general sense. And we all should do that for each other. And then secondly, we need to be accountable in a very, very direct, specific sense. I'm going to put it this way. You need your own personal spiritual dietitian. Because I don't know what 99% of you like to do. I don't know like what you like to watch, what you like to listen to. And most of you don't know what I like to listen to in things as well or watch. But you need to find someone who you can connect with, who understands you, who knows you, who you trust, who can speak into your life. Someone who knows what your diet is. Someone who knows what you like to do. Someone who knows what makes you tick. Someone who can tell you, you know what, you're eating too much of that thing, not enough of that thing. That thing you need to cut it out. Whatever it is that you're taking in in your spiritual diet. And from the other side, we've got those of us who are called to be accountable partners. So someone's come to you and they've said, listen, Susie, um, I'm not accountable to anyone. I'd like to be accountable to someone. You know me. Can I share with you once every week or two, tell you what's going on in my life, what I've been doing, and can you speak into my life? If someone comes to you and asks you to do that, I'm going to ask you to exercise common sense and grace. Now, when I was younger, um, I had this kind of satirical, comical history book that it was the history of the UK in comedy form. And there was this picture of these Puritans walking down the road. You know, Puritans from like the 1600s, they were very holier than thou. 
and they were chanting this thing, down with theater, down with sport, down with fun of every sort. That's not what we're called to, right? I mean, if you think about it, we're made in the image of God, right? God took a day to rest. God wanted downtime. And he actually said that he gave us the Sabbath for us because we need downtime. So it might be that there is space to enjoy things as long as they're not sinful. There might be things that are not sacred, but they relax us and we enjoy them. For me, that's going to cricket matches. I love cricket. It relaxes me. It's okay. As long as I treat it in the right place and it doesn't become a problem to me. So there is space to enjoy these kind of things. But if someone is accountable to you, there's just two overriding guidelines that you need to think about. Firstly, could this thing become a stumbling block to them? Or me, actually. Could it be a stumbling block? It may not be wrong, but could it become something that could become wrong? Secondly, could it be a problem to anyone else? Because maybe for us this thing's fine, but maybe for someone over there it's going to cause a real problem. Does this mean that I don't have freedom to do it? No, I still can. But Paul actually says in the New Testament, he says, in such a situation, choose the path of love. Choose to lay down something that you could do for the benefit of somebody else. And I have to ask, is it really, really such a sacrifice anyway? Because the things of this world are so fleeting. Everton's not going to be around forever. Or a lot less than forever. And remember as well, in an accountable partner situation, you're not doing it for each other. You're not doing it for appearance. You're not doing it for what it's going to look like here on a Sunday. You're doing it for God. This might sound heavy, but I need to impress on this because we all feel it. I mean, I feel the temptation, we all do, I know, to kind of say, you know, best foot forward. Put your best foot forward, show that, you know, you've got it together. I mean, we all do it. There's a story in the, the New Testament in Acts of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, can I just get Acts 5, 1 to 5? I just want to read this with you. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God." When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Straight after this, his wife Sapphira comes in. She lies as well. Same thing happens. She falls down dead, and they carry her out. What do you think their sin was? Was it keeping some money? Actually, the money wasn't really the issue, actually. Like, as it was says, the money was, Peter says, that the money was yours before, it was yours after. 
they could have said, I'm going to give you half and brought half and they would have been fine. They could have kept half if they wanted to. The issue wasn't the money. The issue was is they wanted people to believe it was everything. But they kept something back for themselves. <laughs> they wanted to appear holier than thou, but they wanted something of themselves that they still wanted to keep. And they died. I think there's a little bit of Ananias and Sapphira in every single one of us, me included. Because I want to seem like I've got it all together and I'm giving everything. But I know I'm sinful. I keep something back. I always do. We always do. Is it any surprise that great fear seized everybody, that they were terrified? Because I'll bet you everyone who heard that story was like, there's a little bit of that in me. This is what holiness comes to. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. I've not always got it right. But you here, if you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my chommy, I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you, if you see something in me where I say I'm giving God everything and I'm holding something back, please will you tell me? Please will you show me? Because I don't have time to mess around with this. I cannot afford to mess around with this. If I'm told to change, I want to change. So this brings me to my final point. We've spoken about the challenge of what holiness real, really means. Focusing on eyes, things that are pure, things that are admirable, of detesting the things that are vile. We've spoken about the fact that it's our choice. That we do have a choice and God gives us choice. And that within our conscience we should be able to choose things and make sure that we're always honoring and glorifying God in all we do. And we've spoken about our chommies, the fact that we're here to support each other. And now I want to talk about the change. The change we need to make. None of us are where we should be. Don't be offended by that. We're not. Okay? Hands up if you're perfect. Right. Okay? If someone put their hand up, that would really freak. We're not perfect. None of us are. But I know that one day I'll be made perfect in Christ in eternity. I know that my story ends in victory with Jesus. <laughs> and because it ends in victory in Jesus, until that day, I want to know more of my Jesus. I want to have a greater intimacy with my Jesus. And that is what we all do, right? That is what we want. So how do we do that? It's actually very simple. Can I get two Peter one up? I'm reading from uh, a different translation just for the words. So uh, thank you for doing this, Mubrahman. I can pray this because his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these things, he has bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises so that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature after escaping the worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith excellence, to excellence, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, 
perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly affection, to brotherly affection, unselfish love. For if these things are really yours and are continually increasing, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. If you just leave that up there a second. You see this? If you grow in these things, you're not going to get there day one. It says growing. <laughs> We're all imperfect. But if we make it our heart's desire to grow in those things, they will keep us from becoming ineffective and unproductive. Unproductive in what? Our pursuit of knowing intimacy with Jesus. So if in 2020 you want to increase your intimacy with Jesus, seek holiness. Seek these things. Get into the Word. Get on your knees. Take the time that you've been giving to this other rubbish and cut it out of your life. I think it's no surprise, not surprising that the enemy wants to bombard us with distractions. He wants to bombard us with TV shows and music that's really, really cool and really, you really want to watch. He'll use every single thing in his power to keep us from that place of intimacy. Are we going to stand against it? For those of you who um, have a quiet time already, that you're spending time in the Word, I want to advise you, be careful in 2020 what your spiritual diet consists of. Sometimes it's not enough just to say, I'm going to do something spiritual. You see, the world that we live in today, what they do is they package up fast food. What is fast food? It's tasty, it's quick and easy, it looks attractive, and it's got very little nutritional benefit whatsoever. Spiritually, there's a lot of that in the church today. There's a lot of churches that will give you lovely, well-created little snippets and packages, videos, short little preaches, nice little devotionals. They're tasty, they look good. And after you've eaten them, they do you no good whatsoever, or very little. I've seen too many Christians shipwreck themselves on the rocks of bad teaching. Have real meals. Josh Jen itself, I mean, we put our preachers on the website. Listen to those. You'll get good preaching, good teaching here. Or right now media that you've got access to. Use that. Get some really good meals. Another thing that we want to avoid is the concept of snack culture. So snack culture is, you know, is a sweet candy bar, a little thing. Tastes nice in the mouth, then it's gone. We do that spiritually as well. We like little quotes, little quips. Verse of the day. Are they bad? No. Snack is not always bad. It gives a nice taste in the mouth. You can have a spiritual nice taste in the mouth. But if you go through your whole day just going from one little nice taste in the mouth to one little nice taste in the mouth and never really get into the Word of God, you're not going to be nourished. You're not going to grow. So avoid snack culture. Get into the Word. And like I say, and I can't emphasize this enough, get your own spiritual dietitian. <laughs> They'll see what you're taking in. They'll see if you're swallowing something from some wacky prophetic ministry out of Azerbaijan, and they'll say, I'm not sure that's healthy for you. Not that I've got anything against Azerbaijan. Never been there. Lovely place, I'm sure. And I'll be honest, I've, I've not been great at 
at this, this dedicating time aside to really get in the Word. I love the Word. I love reading the Word. But I've slacked on my quiet times. I've not been as accountable as I could be. But I don't have time to mess around with this. In Exodus 34, verse 6, God says this about himself as he passes by Moses. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is our God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And this morning, as we've enjoyed just a little bit of intimacy with God in worship, I think that's an invitation to us. That's an invitation to hear the challenge of what it means to come to holiness, to make a choice to say, I will lay hold of that which is pure and pleasing, to stand with each other, to stand with our chommies and make a change. Um, Can I get Rui? Shane, can I get you to come up for me? I think this morning that we do need to make a response to God. I think there's something about consciously making a decision and saying... I'm going to lay hold of that thing. And so, as I prepared this, I I was massively challenged. I saw in my own life the places I've been falling short. Just when I've been sharing this with you, I've been challenged again, and I, I know I fall short again. But God is a God that loves to restore. God is the God of second chances. And I'd love us to be able to respond to that. And there's three groups of people I would like to speak to this morning and ask if you want to respond to what God's been saying to you through the worship and through this this preach. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm aware that some of you here this morning, it might be, that you don't really know what I'm talking about when I talk of a spiritual diet. You don't really know what it means to be fed by a Father in heaven who nourishes your soul. If that's you, I want to be able to invite you to meet with this amazing God who is bigger and more amazing than anything you could possibly hope to imagine. So before I call anyone else up to respond, first of all, can I just ask everyone to close their eyes? If that's you this morning, if you've heard God speaking to you, if you've heard the Father talking to you and saying, I've got food that can fill the emptiness in your life, If you recognize that you've been living with things of the world that have been holding you down, a deep burden, and you want to be free of them. If you this morning want to say, Jesus, I give it my all. While every eye is closed here, if that's you, 
I would love to pray with you. Can you just show me your hand? Is there anyone here this morning? Thank you. I see that hand. Before I move on, this is an opportunity just to say, God, I give you my everything. I don't know what it means to have that from you. I want to give you my everything. Anyone else? So I'd like to pray with those people who put their hand up. I'd like us all to pray together because I think that there's a power when we stand in unity with those people. So just pray these, pray these words with me, please, as, as we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you provide. You bring life. You bring food. And I need the life you offer. I confess that I have fallen short. I've given myself to other things. But this morning I give myself to you. Lord, forgive me my sins. Take me as I am. And bring me into this family. I thank you that your son died for me. And I accept your grace. Amen. Thank you. Just a hand for those guys that put their hands up. And for that, I think this is a beautiful thing where people actually accept the love that God has for them. But I know that just as those people felt a conviction on themselves, I know that there's people here who already know Jesus, who already know what it's like to be fed by the Father. But we know our spiritual diet has not been good. And I am standing as someone who feels that conviction themselves. And so, as we're brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like to do something. Can we stand together?